0: I want you to imagine this morning as we turn to Mark chapter 1 that you've started a new job this week. Now there's one of us that's starting a new job soon, I know that. He told me this, but, but I want you to imagine that you've started a new job no matter what age you are and, and, the, and the, the job title that you've, that you've got as you've changed career is this, social media influencer. That's your new job title. And it's a real job, okay? There are people who do this. Surprisingly to, to some of us, it was a surprise to me, but it 's essentially a, a marketing job right uh, and what it, what it involves is that you have to promote products uh, that, 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 that you 'll generally get given for free uh, to others on social media, and uh, maybe that might cause a bit of, of jealousy uh, that 's what happens. Uh, uh, my wife knows a little bit about this sort of thing, uh, and, and, and you, get, you receive a, you know a, a nice big uh, television, uh, and you're meant to tell everyone how great it is, and, and then they might go and buy one themselves. That's the idea. And, and the nature of your employment means that, that you need to get as many followers as possible. You want followers on Facebook. You want followers on Twitter. Uh, you want followers on Instagram. Um, and People uh, who watch what you post every day and read your stories. That way you can have... I've got so many thousand followers, and then you're very valuable to these marketing executives that want to give you their products. That's the idea. But, but how are you going to achieve this? How are you, how are you going to do your job? Well, you, well you, you're going to want good publicity, isn't that right? You're going to want exposure. An interview on the radio, one of those old-fashioned sort of things. A, a video that, that goes viral online. A mention from someone already popular online, maybe a Kardashian, maybe someone who's a top blogger. This is the kind of thing that you would want. And so as Jesus begins his, his ministry on the shores of Lake Galilee, he begins to collect followers, doesn't he? He's got four of them. He's got Peter and Andrew, James and John, but he clearly wants more. And of course you might expect a full public appearance. You might expect him to be as visible as possible. You might expect him to be mixing with all the right kind of people to achieve this increase in followers. But but not with Jesus, as we'll see this morning. His tactics are, are different as he seeks to see the kingdom of his father grow. In the passage before us, he seems to become more hidden than visible. And the people that he does mix with are not exactly top celebrities. Yes, he's in the business of gathering followers. He's in the business of fishing for men. You could put it like that. He is God. He is the king. He's in the business of extending his kingdom. But how he goes about it seems rather strange. First of all, the first point you notice is that he is extended by prayer. First of all, we notice that he's not lazy on the job, as he as he takes up this rule. Verse thirty-five states that he that he rises early in the morning, while it's still dark. The passage says it's um it's probably a five a.m. in our idea of of the of the clock. He's probably had a late night the night before. You remember what he's been doing? He's been, he's been healing uh, at, the, at the home of, of, of Peter and Andrew. Uh, and, and and people were gathering at the door and there were droves of them. You remember? So he's probably had a late evening healing. But he's up at 5 a.m. or some early hour when it's still dark. And he doesn't stay in the house with Simon Peter and Andrew. Remember, he, he, he's, he's healed his mother-in-law there and, and there's a whole crowd. But you no, know, he gets away, doesn't he? is told he he he, he finds a, a quiet place, he finds a place of obscurity. And what's Jesus doing in this quiet place of obscurity? Well it's there in verse thirty-five. He's praying, isn't he? And what's he doing that for? Sure is he not is he not God as well? I mean what does he need to pray for? You know? Is that not a bit of a problem? Well, to understand that Jesus on the earth praying to his father in heaven, we need to understand the original state of things. We need to realize that the eternal father and the eternal son had an eternal relationship before Jesus comes into the world. Jesus did not become the son of God at Bethlehem. He was always and has always been the son of God from eternity past and he always will be in the future. And before the world began, they had this relationship inside the Trinity. That was the original way of it. But when Jesus, the eternal Son of God, becomes a man, there's a change he takes upon himself, there's several changes he takes upon himself sinless humanity and he also takes the form of a servant giving up his heavenly privilege but, but, but there's also a change because, because it's about obedience he, he, in his humanity Jesus has to learn obedience, Hebrews 5 tells us that, to his father and you can't be obedient if you aren't communicating with the one that you're obeying, isn't that right? The one you're submitting to. So it's about obedience. But it's also about dependency. Jesus in his humanity is dependent. Dependent on God the Father. He's praying to his heavenly Father as a sign of his dependency. You notice know, you know, like that God the Father is not praying to Jesus. You see it there? No, Jesus is praying to God the Father. And that's the way it is. It's, that's the dependency. That's the direction of it. His praying shows his reliance upon his Father in his humanity, to, to carry out his, 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 his Father's plan of redemption. That's what he's doing. Who's sustaining and strengthening Jesus the man for the mission? It's his Father. That's who's strengthening him. That's who's doing it. Jesus Christ was no less God on earth when, when he's praying to his Father in heaven, but, but as a man, he's dependent He calls calls him father. And that's a very helpful way for us to think about it. It also happens to be true. He's he's coming to his father that he depends on. But it's not an automatic thing, is it? Jesus has to get out of his bed in the morning. He's he's clearly been up healing most of the evening. He has to battle with the temptation to be lazy. He has to find a quiet place. It's, It's probably not quiet in the house. That's the implication here. He has to walk off to find this place. It takes effort. Effort to rise and effort to find a quiet spot. It's not going to happen automatically. I mean, sleep happens automatically. And of course, Jesus gets tired. You you realize that? He he sits down at the well in Samaria in John 4 because it it says he was tired. He sleeps in the bottom of the boat whenever the, the storm's about to kick off because he's tired. He gets tired. it 's about obedience and it 's about dependency but it 's also because Jesus the man is giving us an example that 's the other thing that we can see. We often think that we 're self sufficient that 's a sort of myth of the modern world that we live in we, we think that we, we stand on our own two feet we think that we 're independent we think that we, we, we don 't really need anybody in the, the sort of financial systems of, of our of our you know, secular Western world helps us to feel that way, but it's actually false. Because we are dependent on our health. And some of our church members know that only through, too well this week. We are dependent on our health. We are dependent on money coming in to pay the bills. We're dependent on the roof not falling in around us, on, in our homes. We are dependent on the on the bank not asking for the mortgage up front this week. We're dependent on the landlord not throwing us out on the street. We're dependent on our family sticking by us through thick and thin. We're dependent on our friends not deciding to disown us. And you see, none of these things do we really control. It's, it's, it's so very easy for any of these big, sort of three big stool legs of our lives to, to sort of come out from under us. You know, like your health or, or finance or your friends and family. I mean, any of those stool legs could come out from, from under us. It could happen in a day. But do we realize that at the root of all these dependencies, we are ultimately dependent on God. That's the truth. He's the one that Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It's only by God's grace, not luck or fate. It's only by God's grace that that, that we're still standing. It's only by God's goodness that that we've got breath in our lungs and money in our pockets and and friends and family by our side. You realize that? We come to the one that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Of course we're dependent on him. If that's the sort of God that we're coming to. And if it's necessary for Jesus, the man, if he knows he's dependent, then surely we must also realize we're dependent. He's our example. But we don't just need the things that he gives us. The health, the money, the friends and family. It's, it's not just the gifts that we need. What we really need is him. Him. What we really need is the relationship. And there's something of that here which Jesus shows. This is the first of, of three times in Mark that, that we're specifically told that Jesus is praying. Each time it's in a, it's in a dark, solitary place. It's, it's, it's alone time with his father. Jesus praying to the Father was a demonstration of of a relationship that existed in the Trinity before the world began. But but now as as the God-man, he he wants to keep that relationship fresh. He wants those lines of communication open. It's not public, this is private. It's an internal matter. And that relationship is also an example that, that, that we must also... Think about that relationship too as a high priority. Even more so, you could argue. We need that relationship. We need that more than anything else. You know the greatest thing about you is your relationship with God. It's the most precious thing that you have. When you get to heaven, the greatest thing about you will not be your new perfect body, as good as that will be. It's not the lack of sickness or the fact that death is gone or that everyone you love is here. No. The greatest thing that about you will be that you are with God in a close relationship. Because that's the, what you were made for. And you're starting now as you mean to go on. You know? You're, you're in a relationship now because that's a forever relationship. So we, we'll, we'll start as we mean to go on and it's best to prioritize it now since, since Christ uh, uh, as the God man needs to have an active prayer life then, then then so do we so do we if he needs private fellowship with his father then we certainly need private fellowship with the father and if it's an effort for him as the God man then it's no surprise that it's going to be an effort for us isn't that right he has to get up out of his bed early in the morning he's tired too you know but how easily do we give up? Maybe we watch the television a bit too late. Maybe we let Netflix run on a few too many episodes. You know, Maybe the kids are up too early and there's no time for prayer. We don't do that with our breakfast. We don't do that with our work. Of course you can pray on the go. You don't have to be in a quiet place to pray with God. Praise the Lord for that. When, when you're in the office and, 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 uh, or, or at work and you know it's a difficult day coming, you can pray. You can pray and ask for God's help. When you're struggling with the children, uh, and of course you can pray. And, and, and right there, right then, you know, no problem. Think about Nehemiah. And he has several arrow prayers when he's before the king. Just right there. But there's also no substitute for quality prayer time. Like Jesus shows us, time alone with God. Maybe in the car, maybe that's the only time you get. You've got a decent sized journey to go and you you think that that that's a good time. And someone once said to me, I I speak to God like like he's sitting in the passenger seat. I think that's good. I find that helpful. Might seem a little strange to an onlooker. (laughs) They might think we've lost it. But we're not fooling ourselves here, are we? He is there, isn't he? Of course he is. He's everywhere. And he's also especially near when we call on him. You might find that it helps to talk to him like this when you're alone. I don't know. Maybe it's just all quiet and you're just praying as you close your eyes and you don't utter any words and you're just, you know, communing with your father that way. Whatever works, there's no set pattern. I don't know what Jesus did exactly here. But he certainly communed with his father. He worked on that relationship as a priority. He came away from, as we'll see, a big event. A big, plenty of good things going on. He worked on that relationship. He he spent the time with the one he really needed. He spent the time whose will he wanted to do more than his own. He was dependent and he knew it. And he was set an example for us. And I want you to see that, that the way Jesus goes about his rule is not to promote himself in the public realm. It's not the usual methods. Oh, the disciples, they're, they're, they're looking for him, aren't they? Simon, Simon's looking for him and those that are with him. They, they probably can't understand why, why he's left the house where all the action is taking place. I mean, there's people being healed here. There's, there's demons being cast out. This is probably the most talked about place in the town of Capernaum. People are coming to the door and Jesus is showing his power and people are being healed of all sorts of medical issues. But Jesus is on a completely different track. He's extending the kingdom, but not as you might expect. It's a quiet, private matter, not a loud, public one. He went missing and they sent out out a search party Everyone is looking for you, they, they say to him when they find him. That, that word, looking for, or, or seeking, it might say in your, in your Bible, is, is seeking in a kind of negative sense. It's like to demand or, or obtain. They aren't looking for him to, to follow him, to, to submit to him, to his leading. No, they're looking for him because they, they want to sort of control him. And to use them for, his, for their own desires. They want They want a spectacle. They want a shouman who's going to do all these miracles. We're, we're looking for you. Because we want to do something with you. You know? Our plants. Our plants. And Jesus, He's clearly perceived this because He's left them to it. You remember another occasion when Jesus went missing? Do you remember? Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old and the family went up to Jerusalem and to celebrate the Passover and, and Mary and Joseph are on their way home and they're thinking, yeah, he's with, he's with the crowd, you know and, and then one day into the journey they sort of think, hmm, maybe I should go and check on that child and they think, we better see if he's with the company of relatives and friends but, but he's not there and they send a search party and they end up back the whole way to Jerusalem and, and what does he say when, he, when they meet him he says, why were you looking for me now, that's the same looking word as we have here in Mark chapter 1. Authorized version now. Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? You see, he's promoting the family business. <laughs> he, it's not fishing for fish, it's fishing for men. The tactics are different for its growth. He promotes it and extends it by withdrawing and spending quality time with his father. He promotes it by depending on the one that it actually really depends on. Because, of course, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to anything about it, we wait for God's move. Isn't that right? We can't force his hand in anything. He lives in heaven and does as he pleases. We wait for his approval and directing. The kingdom of God is, is not extended by the ways and tactics of men. No, the kingdom of, is extended through prayer. You don't get many SEALs executives meeting together and saying, you know what, I think the direction we're heading in, let's have a time of prayer. Sadly, in our modern world, that's not common. If it's, but if it's God's work, that, then, then that, it needs the seeking of God. If it's God's will, then, then it needs the seeking of God. How is the kingdom of God going to be extended in Dundonald? By prayer. By God's people communicating and deepening and enjoying their relationship with their father. Communicating and seeking his, his will and asking for his direction. Amid a whirlwind of public activity, Jesus still goes to the quiet place to pray. you see that? He speaks to the, the source of his mission and purpose. And because even though it surprises us, God's ways are not our ways. Isn't that right? The kingdom will come by prayer. Secondly, notice the kingdom is extended by preaching. We saw this last time. Jesus comes primarily not to cast out demons or to heal the sick. These are just sort of sideshows. The real purpose, the real pointer is to preaching. Once Jesus is finally located, he he again refuses to return to where all the action is. He withdraws. He doesn't want to go back to Capernaum. No, he says, I'm gonna let's go on to the next towns, verse thirty eight that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. You see it there? He wants to preach. He ends up preaching and casting out more demons. He he doesn't say, let's go on that I may cast out demons, that's why I came out. He doesn't say, let's go on that I may heal the sick, for that's why I came out. No, he says, let's go on that I may preach, for that is why I came out. That's why I came out of my, my, my time of prayer with my father. Now the people may want more miracles. We can imagine why. But it's, going, it's, not, going to be, it's not going to be really about the word. But, 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 but Jesus says, no, it's going to be the preached word. No, I'm not going to perform like, for them like, like a zoo animal. No, 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 no. No, he has his own agenda and it's his father's agenda. And he's not going to stay in the larger urban center of Capernaum to achieve it. No, he's heading to the more obscure villages. He's doing the opposite to what you might expect or even advise. It's all about the preaching. It's all about the good news of the gospel. That's how the kingdom is going to be extended. This is how he's going to get more followers through the preached word. One of the old Puritans once said, God only had one son and he made a preacher of him. That's good. Jesus is making his way through the villages of Galilee and he's preaching and, and he does this out of a life of prayer. It's like a one-two. Okay, It's prayer and the preached word. That's how it's going to grow. That's how the family business is going to grow. That's how the kingdom is going to be extended. You remember Acts chapter 6 when there's this issue with the, with the widows and, and who would sort out the distribution to the needy. And, and they set aside seven men uh, to, to, to take on this task. You could call them deacons. And as a result, the apostles are released from this task. And what do they say? We can devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's it. That's how followers will be gathered in. That's how the kingdom is going to be extended in Dundonald. Prayer and the ministry of the word. That's why I'm preaching this morning. That's why at home group on Wednesday night we didn't just sit around and have a chin wag. No, we opened the Bible. And we discussed it together and studied it. That's why. But that's not all we see in the passage. Because the kingdom is also extended by cleansing. That's the third point. As Jesus moves throughout Galilee, he meets a man. Now this was not a celebrity. Someone who could aid the fame of Jesus. Like a member of the royal family could boost your profile or, or maybe a, a footballer could come along and, and give you a hand with the old promo. No. This was, this was someone from the very opposite end of the spectrum. This was not advice that Jesus had just read in the first century version of how to uh, win friends and influence people. No, this was culturally a bad move. This was a leper. A leper. A man who had leprosy. A man who everyone considered an outcast. Everyone avoided him. The law judged him to be unclean. And people even deemed him to be cursed by God. That's what they thought of him. Someone that everyone knows has AIDS today would fare better than this man. Okay? He has to stay 50 paces away from any other people. And if anyone comes near him by accident, he shouts, Unclean! Unclean! What a life he had. For Jesus to approach him, to be so close that he could touch him, was unthinkable. But what happens as he approaches Jesus? He's clearly desperate. He's coming to the one that, he, that he'd heard about, clearly he'd heard about him. And listen to his words. If you will, you can make me clean. He believes in what Jesus can do. He he has faith, doesn't he, this man? He's clearly got faith. Inside, he trusts and it comes out in his words. The the kingdom has grown in him. His faith moves him to act. It moves him to throw himself at Jesus. It's not a demand for a miracle from the showman like the other people. No, it's a clear understanding of the pecking order here, like we saw last week. Who's the one in charge? Who's the authority? Who's the one that, that, that can do it if he wants or cannot do it if he wants? It? It's Jesus. It's a recognition of who's in charge. He knows that if Jesus wants to heal him, he can. It depends on his willingness. If you're willing, Jesus, you can cleanse me. You see, ability is not in doubt here. It's not, for the man, it's not a matter of if he could heal him. It's a matter of if he would heal him. The inner workings of the leper. The kingdom's growing in him. He shows that he's got great faith. And we've seen something of the inner workings of Jesus already. As he communes with his father in the private place. But he's not keen to be the popular one doing sign miracles. He withdraws at that stage and, and spends time with his father. But what about how he reacts to the man of leprosy with leprosy? Does, does he say, you know, don't you realize who I am? I'm Jesus. I have no time for your sort of raff. Is, is that what he says to him? Does he turn away from the man and, and sort of quote the law given by Moses and say, you know, it, it is written? No, he doesn't. We see inside Jesus into his heart, don't we? It says he was moved with pity. And it's more than pity, as we might understand pity. It's, it's moved with compassion. That's a better word. Okay? He, he sees the man in his state. He, and, and he sees how his skin has been impacted. He sees it's an ugly disease. He can see that it's spread across his body and probably mutilating his fingers and toes. He can see it. He can see that it's ruined his life and isolated him from the community. He's in a sorry state. And it's not... Isn't that terrible? Jesus really feels compassion for the man. You see the emotion in the man, Christ Jesus there. You see it? Isn't it telling? Isn't Jesus just incredible? Think about it. The very outcast. This is the vagrant on the street with his bedding around him, stinking of his own urine, and Jesus has compassion. That's what it's like. This is the same compassion that Jesus feels as he looks over the crowds and sees them as, a, as sheep without a shepherd in Mark chapter 6. This is the compassion he feels as the people are hungry and haven't eaten for three days before, before the miracle of the, the feeding, of, feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew 15. This is pre-action compassion. Okay? This is compassion because he can, he can and will do something about the situation. Of course this is our example. This is what the Lord expects of us. If, if we see a situation that we can do something about, it's not just a, isn't that terrible, tut, tut. It's not just pity, it's let's act, it's compassion. And, and Jesus shows his willingness with the response of, I will. I am willing. And then the words that the, that the leper wants to hear, which have got real power. Be clean. And he does something scandalous, doesn't he? He touches him. <laughs> I mean, can you hear the gasp of the crowd? How many years has it been since somebody touched this man, right? And it's not just anybody, it's Jesus. It's the most perfect specimen of humanity that's ever been that's touching this man. It's Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, well, it's not that he, he sort of takes a big risk, you know, and, you know, he might have to go to the priest. And see if he's been infected by this man. You know, it goes the other way, doesn't it? He isn't defiled by the disease. He makes the man clean. That's what happens. He removes the curse, he, he takes away the shame. And, and, and immediately, that's Mark's word, the man gets a new name. You say, what? Well, you can't call him leper anymore because he's not a lever he has to get a new name Jesus tells the man not to tell anyone just go and show yourself to the local priest he says there's two reasons for that I would suggest Uh, first of all Leviticus 14 requires it we have stipulations for people newly freed from leprosy. You've, been, you've got better. The, the priest would, would, would give you sort of once over with his tree and die. And then there's a small sacrifice of two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And you have to wash your clothes and you have to shave your head and you have to bathe in water and then you have to live outside for ten days and then all being well after that you're back in the community. But it also says that Jesus wants it to be a Proof to them. He wants the priest, he wants the Jewish system of religion to realize that this man got better, that he didn't get better just by chance or by natural means, he got better by supernatural means. But of course, he doesn't want it to go any further. Jesus says, you know, don't tell anyone. You might, the theologians call this the messianic secret. Okay? This is the idea that Jesus at this point is not saying, you know, tell everyone, let them know I'm here. No, there's a sense that he's saying, hold back, hold back. Don't tell people what happened to you. Now, the leper can't help himself, former leper. He talks freely about his healing. And we might even have sympathy with him if this happened to us. Still, Jesus knows they, they want him to be pushed forward as a as a showman, as a as a as a miracle worker, a like caster out of demons, you know. And he's saying, Don't tell anyone, because that's not the sort of king that he's going to be. He's saying, Hold back. We'll see this more in time. But there's a slow, quiet progress of the kingdom of God, and there's a sense that Jesus does not want to be seen as a showman. Think about in John chapter 6 when they they want to make him king and Jesus withdraws to the mountains. You see, it depends on what sort of king they want to make him. And that's not the sort of king he's going to be. His ways are not the ways of men. His ways are not our ways. In fact, Jesus ends up instead having to withdraw to the desolate places, we're told in verse 45. He can no longer openly enter a town even. He has to go to the quiet places. This, is not, uh, this kingdom is, is not a multinational organization with a big budget and an ad campaign seeking to take over market share. No, this is the kingdom of God. And it grows in God's ways. It grows through prayer. The building of a relationship between God and his people. The recognition of the one that we all depend on. The one who builds despite us as well as through us. It grows through preaching to small crowds in well, places, well off the beaten track. Quiet places in our world today. Doesn't it? You don't even hear about it. But it's happening. It grows through the ministry of the word. Not something... That's widely held as popular or a good idea. It grows through the cleansing of individuals who have faith in Jesus, doesn't it? Individuals who have faith in what Jesus can do and throw themselves at Him because of no other hope, who've heard what He can do and trust that He can do it for them. That's how the kingdom grows. Cleansing from the deepest problem of sin. The breaking of the curse. You know, the setting free of the captive. And and on the inside, you know. And, And giving them a new name. His name. Christian. That's how it grows. I wonder, do you know any individuals who need cleansing? Yeah, we do, don't we? I wonder, can you speak with them about the Lord? I wonder, can you? I wonder, is there an opportunity coming this week to speak with some of them? I mean, I wonder, do you have compassion on them in their sorry state? Think about the sorry state that you were once in. And they're still in. I wonder, do we have any here this morning who need cleansing. Well we all continually need cleansing. But I'm talking about for the first time. I'd love to speak with you. I, I really would. To tell you more. About the Lord. You see we're just sinners. <laughs> trusting completely in what Jesus can do. Because we've heard that he can do it. And he can This is how the kingdom will grow. In Dundon this is how the Lord's kingdom will grow and grow and grow and one day every eye will see him. Let's bow together in a word of prayer.